listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast. This podcast is for people who want to know the grace of God and how it changes the way we interact with the world. I'm your host, author Darlene Bojack, and in this episode we are going to find out what Judges has to say about grace. We're starting a new season. I think that as we have reached Romans in the New Testament, we, we have a good understanding of foundational principles of grace. And so we are going to be focusing on applying grace. So I call this season two, Applying Grace. I think the book of Judges is a good place to begin that as well. Because as you know, the book of Judges repeats a lot of times, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, for Israel had no king. And thinking back on the book of Joshua, uh, the symbolism or the, the parable of the story of the conquests, we see that Joshua was coming into the land, leading his people into the land, and they were to get rid of all of the, uh, the sin or the sinfulness of things around them. And that's an analogy for entering into the Christian life and uh, throwing off sin and everything that entangles us, as it says in Hebrews 12.1. So in the book of Judges, we have the word grace two times, and one is hen and one is hanon. So we're going to take a look at those right now. The first time we see the word grace in the book of Judges is uh, chapter 6, verse 17. And to read this, I need to back up a couple verses. Gideon is being called by the angel of the Lord. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned and said to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not, do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my presence and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Okay, we, we do notice that the word for grace in this first passage is, if I have found favor in your eyes. So that's the, the way we say please. But at the same time, do you notice that he is talking that he will be with him? And we were saying that to understand grace we need to understand what it is to have found favor in God's eyes 
is that he is with us wherever we go. Second time we see the word in the book of Judges is Judges 21, 22. So this is when the Benjamites were being ostracized for some wickedness that had happened. And the Benjamites were slowly losing their population because nobody would let their daughters marry the Benjamites. And so we have in verse 22, And when their fathers or their brothers came to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to us, else you would now be guilty. So in the story, they said that let the daughters of Shiloh come and perform their dances, and each of you is to come out of the vineyards, catch for himself a wife from the daughters of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. So the Benjamites are allowed to go and and uh, kidnap or snatch a wife, and that way the honor of the father is intact, and the men will have wives. So where do we see the word grace? It is the word hanan, when they say, be kind to them. The Hebrew is hanunu, or from hanan, and it says in the translation, uh, we will say unto them, be favorable unto them for our sakes, or give them to us voluntarily, or give. So the three ways that Hanan is being used has to do with being giving, leaning toward, and giving, inclining yourself toward. So it's saying just let go. It's a favor, isn't it? And it's a favor that's sourced in the heart of the person that's giving. Uh, so backing up a bit, let's consider some a larger kind of grace that we see in the book of Judges. The people of Israel are not being faithful to God. That's the story of Judges, right? They don't have, uh, they have priests, they have the Torah, but they don't have the practical understanding of uh, how to live a faithful life. In our analogy of going into the land and killing off the, the sin, the source of sin, we also said that there's an, a second analogy of the Christians where we are going into the world and spreading the gospel, right? Joshua conquered and decimated the nations in order to get rid of the sin from the land. We go into the world, we go into the sinful world and must maintain our integrity. We maintain, we maintain our, our, um, our view of holiness as we're with them. So as we are in our regular lives and rubbing shoulders with people who do not love God, we are, in a sense, in the book of Judges and bringing, uh, bringing the gospel to the people who do what is right in their own eyes. Right? The world is like that. The world 
they're really, my friends, they all want to do what's right. You know, they have a conscience, live according to their conscience. They want to do what's right. But the book of Judges shows that without some sort of a bigger standard, you're always going to fall short of of doing it the right way because it just gets ends up being full of compromise, like with the story of the Benjamites. They were being punished for for the wickedness that uh, that they had done as a as a people, and yet they were going to become extinct if nobody would let their daughters marry them. So, in the book of Judges, we see the Philistines as the people that they are coming up against. Now, Joshua rushed into the land, decimated the land, opened it up for the people of Israel. And then we suddenly see the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are part of the Sea People. Uh, in definition of what the Sea People are, Ahami Mazar is an archaeologist in Israel, and he said that in Philistia, the producers of the Mycenaean pottery must be identified as the Philistines. The logical conclusion, therefore, is that the Philistines were a group of Mycenaean Greeks who immigrated to the east. So there's, there's an influx of sea peoples. The, there's a couple books I'm going to be recommending. One of them is by Eric Klein. It's called 1177 BC, The Year Civilization Collapsed in a series called Turning Points in Ancient History. Now, the reason I mention this book is because there was this upheaval of society that ended up with a bunch of, of people traveling across the Mediterranean Sea from places like uh, eastern, or the western uh, coast of what is today Turkey, and the island nations. So that would be Mycenae. And so the Philistines are part of that influx. And as Ami Mazar, who happens to be the my archaeology teacher when I studied in Israel, uh, as Ami Mazar hypothesized, the Philistines were a Mycenaean people. Now, there's some other evidence that points to the Sea Peoples as having come from uh, as I said, the, the western Aegean coast, which is really close to me. There is a an archaeological site about 20 minutes from my house that's called Panastepe. And Panastepe was one of the largest ports outside of Troy during the Bronze Age. And when the Sea Peoples left, which is partly in response to the Trojan War, there was just an upheaval of people during that that period even people from this area they left and went uh, through the sea and went to uh, places like Egypt and Israel now Joshua had cleared the land and so the Philistines moved into the empty houses right so when we when we talk about the grace of God we're talking about the hand of God who is guiding and shaping circumstances in our lives. Now, why would why would there be an upheaval of people right when Joshua cleared the land, right when they needed to 
have no idolaters in the land, why was there an influx of idolaters in the land? It's not just because it was empty, because the Jew, the Jewish people, the, the Hebrews had filled the land. They lived, they had divided um, the land and taken different towns uh, for themselves. Uh, it was divided, you know, the book of Numbers talks about um, how, who's living where, in what place. So we have to ask our question, why right then did the Philistines come in? It's almost counterproductive for God to let the Philistines come in, or even more specific, having there be a worldwide upheaval so that all sorts of immigrants are coming in to the land that had just been cleared of idolaters, right? That's just like, it feels wrong. Um, I do need to, to say that there's question exactly what the date of Joshua's conquests are. It could have been that the Sea Peoples came before and Philistines are some of the people that were left uh, after Joshua cleared the land, or it could be that they came in afterwards. But the fact is that in God's sovereignty, there was a worldwide upheaval that ended up with these idolaters being in the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham. And these, this is what Israel was fighting with all the time. The story of Israel fight with idolatry is the story of our life, our fight with idolatry. You see, we we allow that syncretism, we allow the world and the loves of this world to, to attach themselves to us. Or we attach ourselves to them. We become enthralled with the things that our, our neighbors are enthralled with bandwagon or or um, grass is always greener or keeping up with the Joneses those kinds of ideas are coming from this concept of of being in the world but not of the world or serving God not mammon right the 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 conflict that we have in our Christian life as we take over the land or alternately on the flip side of that, as we preach the gospel in a pagan world, we are going to be wrestling with the with Philistines, and I'm I'm consciously aware that the story of David and Goliath is not about trying to find the the Goliaths in our life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that the conquest is an analogy to the conquest of the Christian life and the conquest of our um, of our lives in bringing it into submission to Christ. I think that we have uh, we have good evidence that that the story of Israel, for example, Israel's unfaithfulness and being brought back to God, um, not my people are called my people. It's very clear in the book of Hebrews that that's talking about Christians and talking about Gentiles being brought in. There's a there's a purposeful analogy to the Old Testament stories to reflect the story of, of Christian, the need for Christians to bind their hearts to God. So 
We have the Sea Peoples that they came in. I am going to put in the show notes a bunch of information about the Sea Peoples because as I was preparing for today's podcast, I got um, I got sucked in to the Sea Peoples. As I said, we have uh, this place, Ponastepe, really close to our house. And the way that um, Ponastepe was discovered is there were some people digging in their backyard or digging on this, it's a, it's a huyuk or a tell or a archaeological or a, something that has a represents or is obviously a city an ancient area uh, and they found a sword now that sword is what told the archaeologists that there's some sort of important thing here and they discovered the graveyard and the graveyard was full of archaeological finds people abandoned Panas Tepe and which is why I'm thinking that it has a lot to do with with the sea peoples. People abandoned that port um, for one thing because the land was being filled in with um, with silt washed down and so the the port was not able to remain a port much longer but as I drive past Panas Tepe I look at this this place that was it is not as grand anything even close to the the more famous spots like Ephesus or whatever but I drive past that and I'm like people were living here during David's time Goliath might have come from this area there's another book called giving Goliath his due and it also uh, expounds this idea that the Philistines might have come from from western Anatolia which is right where I live so when I when I think of the sea peoples and I think of the the book of Joshua and I think of the word grace, I think about how God brings these bad things into our lives. Right? We know that the hand of God leads us sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, which is all about living in that kind of a world of conflict, you know, having your needs met, but having enemies around you. And the grace of God in the book of Judges is the story of Judges, that we look at it from Christian perspective. We look at the book of Judges going, they needed a king, and therefore Christ is our king. Instead of doing what's right in my eyes, I want to do what's right in my king's eyes, just like David was the solution, God's solution to the problem, Saul was not the solution to their problem. They wanted Saul, God wanted David. And our king is the son of David. Our king is the one who has the soft heart, who shepherds his people, who is, is the promised Messiah. At the same time, uh, the king that is David sinned with Bathsheba, and his sin actually encourages every Christian and has encouraged every Christian since the time it happened, because David's sin ended with the Psalm 51. And true, there's physical consequences that David had to live with, like a, um, like strife in his family and all sorts of terrible things that happened in his family but 
from from the story of salvation, we can see we have two things resulting. Um, Solomon was a son of Bathsheba, and Solomon became the next king, and Jesus is in the line of Solomon. Secondly, we have Psalm 51, and Psalm 51 reminds us that there is forgiveness in our sin. And what does this have to do with the book of Judges? When conflict comes upon us, we remember that we do have a king. When conflict comes at us, we remember that God is sovereign over the events of the world, political events, um, famines that would have caused the this big upheaval in 1177, the, the famines and the droughts and the pestilence, those are ways that God shifts people around, the wars. So all these things that cause that upheaval, that caused the Philistines to come into the land, that ended up being a stumbling block, those were all part of God's bigger grace, his hand in moving the world into recognizing their need for the king, who is our king. So as I said, take a look at the show notes page for information if you're interested in knowing more about the Sea Peoples. Um, I find great interest in this because it's uh, from my area and my, my major in college was ancient Middle East. Uh, emphasis. I studied social social science uh, at a Christian college with ancient Middle East uh, emphasis, and I also studied in Israel for that, taking archaeology classes and ancient Israel classes, and and I've always been interested in archaeology and ancient world, especially in the Middle East, and here I am living in a place. Oh, one more thing I'll mention, um, if you want a comic relief uh, for your life, we, my son and daughters and I, uh, a few years ago, we put together a, a video series on YouTube that's called Bones in My Backyard, where we investigated different locations near us and the history of the Middle East or the Near East in light of these places very close to our house. So it's called Bones in My Backyard, and, um, and the kids used all sorts of special effects uh, as they made the, these two videos. They made them simultaneously in Turkish and English. Well, they made two of them for each location, one in Turkish and one in English. So if you're interested in that, I'll also put the link for that in the show notes. So that's it for the book of Judges. And to answer our question again, applying grace. How does the book of Judges help us to apply grace? Grace is being found in the favor of God. And so as we face the enemies that God has allowed in our lives, we remember that these are from the hand of God as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as we eat in the presence of our enemies, we remember that we are living in the, under the hand of God. The second thing we remember is that as the Philistines are a stumbling block, we need to be conscious about living according to our king and not according to the ways of the world and the wisdom of the world.
just wanted to finish today's lesson by reading a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon's daily devotionals in the morning. From the first moment of your spiritual life until you are ushered into glory, the language of Christ to you will be, Come, come unto me. As a mother puts out her finger to her little child and woos it to walk by saying, Come, even so does Jesus. He will always be ahead of you, bidding you follow him as the soldier follows his captain. He will always go before you to pave your way and clear your path, and you shall hear his animating voice calling you after him all through life, while in the solemn hour of death his sweet words will, with which he shall usher you into the heavenly world shall be, Come, ye blessed of my Father. So, as we consider the book of Judges and the difficulties of walking in this complicated life that also has grace, let's remember that Christ is going ahead of us. He is leading us. This is all part of his grace. Colossians 2, 2-3 says, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we apply the knowledge of Christ to each of the books of the Bible, we get a greater understanding of the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the book of Judges is in the Bible to teach us, to show us that there's inherent problem with living according to doing what is right in our own eyes, that we need to do what is right in your eyes, keeping our eyes on Christ who went before us and showed us the way. I pray that he would be our king today, that we won't compromise and just do what we think is right, um, but that we would not only have our king and follow our king and our king's example, but that as we are conquering this land, as we are uh, spreading the gospel to all creation, spreading out with the gospel of peace, that you would use us in our neighbor's lives to show them the king whose, whose model we follow and whose pleasure we are living for. Uh, thank you that the book of Judges teaches us that you have uh, wise, sovereign hand over the events of this world and even so over the events of our lives, the good things and the bad things, the difficulties and the, the struggles and the good times. Uh, thank you in advance for all of the other things we're going to learn about grace in this study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast with author Darlene Bojek. This has been episode 16 in season two now, Applying Grace. You can find the show notes, including links to all the things I told you about on graceandmercypodcast.com. And question of the week, where have you been hurt by an absence of Christian grace? Okay, see you next time. Bye-bye.